We're going to start the show off a little bit differently, and that is in light of some very tragic news that has struck the Notre Dame community as well as the Notre Dame football community. So shortly after I had recorded and edited episode 12, and I believe it was queued for release, so I didn't have an opportunity to talk about this, tragic news broke that George Atkinson III, former Irish running back, had passed away at the young age of 27. Now, just just to be 100% transparent, there has been no cause of death that has been released officially yet, but many are speculating that George Atkinson III ended his own life. This comes almost a year to the day after his twin brother, who also played at Notre Dame, he was a defensive back. Josh Atkinson had also ended his own life on Christmas of 2018. And George was very open about his struggles with his brother ending his own life and wrote a really poignant article that you can find online about his own mental health struggles. And it's just heartbreaking. It's tragic and it's almost too difficult to speak about. But I did want to relay, though, again, George was very open with his struggles and it, you could say that it might not necessarily have helped him personally. I would just like to say that maybe in talking about these poor brothers, we can maybe help someone who's in need. And I just wanted to pass along the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline over the air here. Just please know that there's always someone you can talk to. And thankfully in 2019, we're in a different place as a society where you can have these conversations a little bit more openly than you were able to have five, even five, ten years ago, much less decades ago, but the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is at 1-800-273-8255. That's 24 hours a day. Please know that all calls are confidential and you, someone is always on the other end of the phone. And again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. And just please, especially as we traverse this holiday season, whatever God you may pray to or whatever your process is in your own personal spiritual or religious life, please keep the Atkinson family and all of their loved ones and their friends in your prayers, in your hearts, and in your minds as this is just has to be devastating. And I simply can't imagine. I have four-year-old twins at home, and they're they're four, and they're they're my they're both they're, I have daughters, but it just hits home so much that I simply cannot put myself in the place of these guys' parents, and 
it's just, um, like I said, extremely tragic. So thank you for letting me do this at the beginning of the episode, and we'll talk here soon about well, everything we're going to talk about in this episode. But please join me for a period of silence as we keep the Atkinsons and their souls and their family still with us here uh, in our thoughts and in our minds. Okay, thank you for that, and we'll get going here right after this. Alright, so this is Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, and I am your host, Alex Painter. Thank you so much for joining me here today. This is going to be kind of a different episode, a bit of a mishmash episode. And so, as most of you know, you veterans know that most of my episodes, most of the episodes, I should say, are more story-based and more focus on the history of Notre Dame football or Notre Dame the college itself or anything Notre Dame-ish. This one's we're going to talk almost exclusively about the current edition of the Irish and based on how many people listen to the season preview episode, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this. <laughs> but just to let you know, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts if you have a iPhone, click that purple podcast icon and you can listen to all the other 12 episodes that have come out since June, and you can subscribe. That way you are notified for the most recent releases. You can also listen on Spotify if that is your preferred method of listening to podcasts, or if you visit onwardtovictory.podbean.com, that's where all of the episodes are in fact hosted. So if you would like to join the ranks as a consensus All-American, that is those who keep the lights on and donate monetarily to the show, you can visit paypal.me slash onward to victory. That is where you can make a one-time donation of any denomination. It is all incredibly appreciated. Or you can go to patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast just in case you want to Donate a set amount per month. Again, helps me keep the lights on. My goal is to always present this program ad-free. And that's really important to me because, again, you veterans will know that most of the episodes are story-based and nothing disrupts a story more than an ad right in the middle of it. So uh, if you'd like to follow the Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash onward to victory podcast. That's, I call it HQ headquarters. That's where I put video out. I put analysis out, but as well as it's where I make announcements about new episodes. So don't hesitate to jump over to the Facebook page and uh, give it a like and a follow. If you'd like to just send a good old fashioned electronic mail, an email, it is onward to victory podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, especially always, as always, to Joseph Rakish, whose song Knut Rockney serves as the show's theme song. You can find it on uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, pretty much however you listen to music, you're going to find it there. So again, Joseph Rakish, the song is Knut Rockney. That thing got your toes tapping, go give it a few listens. All right, so the show is officially being listened to in 27 states and six countries, so Thank you again for making me at least feel like this is a somewhat successful venture. Uh, it's a lot of fun for me to do. It's something I'm very passionate about. And 
Frankly, I would probably do it even if there wasn't a listening audience. It's just a really pleasant bonus that there, in fact, is one. So thank you very much again. So we're here. It is episode number 13, which is hard to believe. But in keeping with tradition, let's talk about a couple people who wore episode 13, or excuse me, not episode 13, the number 13 for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. So number 13 was worn by Tom Carter who was a defensive back in the early 90s and a first-round pick, I believe, by the Philadelphia Eagles. 2004 NFL All-Pro Bertrand Berry wore number 13. Uh, member of the national champion team 1988 safety Pat Eilers also wore number 13. And current Irish players, wide receiver Lawrence Keyes uh, and linebacker Paul Moala, who is a local product from Mishawaka, Indiana, also wear 13. So in looking at that, I guess today will henceforward be known as the Tom Carter episode, who actually intercepted 27 NFL passes, so not too shabby there. So as I mentioned before, this episode's going to be a bit of a mishmash. There's been some news on the on the Irish front uh, regarding the postseason, and let's talk about wrapping up the regular season and, and all of that. So uh, like I said, it's going to be a bit of a catch-all. So the Irish wrap up their regular season with a 10-2 and record. So this includes five games against teams in the top 25 to end the regular season. And during those five games, they boasted a 3-2 and record. So this is going to be a statistics episode as well. I'm going to be throwing out a lot of stuff. But this is the 20th time in school history that the program has won double-digit games. So should they push their win total to 11 games with the bowl, it would only be the eighth time in school history that the mark has been reached. So even with the losses on the road against the college football playoffs number 5 and 14th ranked teams, this season was a success with wins against the 24, 23, and 22 ranked teams. So Notre Dame at 10-2 and two was invited to participate in the Camping World Bowl against the 7-5 and five Iowa State Cyclones. We're going to talk about that here in a bit, but let's first visit the record books. So all statistics are current as of the end of the 2019 regular season. So let's hit some highlights here. So let's start with head coach Brian Kelly, who we're going to talk about kind of in depth here uh, also. So at 91 wins and 37 losses, Brian Kelly has the fourth most wins in school history, trailing only Era Parsegian, Lou Holtz, and the great Knut Rockne. His four bowl wins only trail Holtz's five. So of those coaches who have coached at least 50 games, his 71.1 winning percentage ranks sixth highest in school history. Moving on to quarterback Ian Book, his 5,876 career passing yards place him seventh highest in school history. Should he connect for 120 yards in the bowl game, which is highly likely, he will overtake Rick Myra for number six. His 56 touchdown passes place him fourth in school history, uh, trailing only 21st century signal callers Brady Quinn, Tommy Reese, now known as Tom Reese, and Jimmy Clausen. So among quarterbacks with at least 760 passing attempts, he actually ranks first in school history with a 63.2 completion percentage. His 33 passing touchdowns this season stand as the second highest mark in school history for a single season. Now on the rushing front, there wasn't much significant movement on the all-time list, but it is worth mentioning that 
with 722 yards on the season, Tony Jones Jr. did move into 32nd in school history in rushing uh, yards over a career with 1,346. And with a strong bowl showing, he should probably move up a couple ticks. So here we go. Wide receiver Chase Claypool, another senior. He currently sits at number eight on the all-time receptions list with 143. Just one catch will tie him at seventh with former Irish great and current Houston Texan Will Fuller. He is ninth on the touchdown list with 18 and 12th in yards with 2013. Kicker Jonathan Doerr. After connecting on 13 of his 16 field goal tries, he is now ninth in school history in field goals made. His 101 total points put him at 8th. So as a team, defensively, the unit ranked 21st in the country. Again, this is all out of 130 teams in yards allowed. And 12th in yards allowed per play. So pretty prolific defense, which was shocking to a lot of us myself included, if I'm being honest, but offensively, the unit ranked 13th in scoring offense with 37.1 points per game, while only allowing on defense 14th best 18.7 points per game. And finally, with 26 takeaways and only 11 turnovers, the team's turnover margin was, if my math is correct, and sometimes it is, plus 15 which was good for third in the country, and they trailed only Alabama and, surprise, Florida Atlantic. Now, speaking of offense, just maybe, uh, let's see, about three hours ago, news broke that Chip Long will be departing the program and that the departure is amicable and mutual. So it's kind of assumed that he's going to go find, uh, he's been offered maybe, or some schools have been in touch with him about coaching. I wish Chip nothing but the best. Uh, the, the offense over the last three years under his helm has been record-setting, and we've won a lot of football games, and uh, wish him nothing but the best. And so it's kind of, uh, according to Len Clark, uh, Irish extraordinaire Len Clark, Tom Reese, uh, who is the quarterback's coach, probably stands to be elevated to the offensive coordinator spot for the bowl game. And he also said that there's a good chance that they're going to fill the position internally. Okay, so first, and as well, excuse me, as promised, let's talk about the 2019 Camping World Bowl. First of all, it's being played at noon on ABC on December 28th. So, again, noon, ABC, December 28th. So, from the time that I am recording this, exactly 17 days away. So, and I am super well aware that there is a good portion, perhaps even a majority of the fan base who think the Irish got pretty hosed on this deal. And while it does raise an eyebrow, or perhaps both eyebrows, that the 9-3 Virginia Cavaliers, who Notre Dame beat 35-20 in late September and just suffered a 62-17 pasting against Clemson, was invited to play the Orange Bowl against the number 9 Florida Gators. And a lot of people are crying foul against the playoff selection committee. But uh, one of the things that I read was from Eric Hansen of the South Bend Tribune on the ND Insider blog, and he put a post up called The Beauty of Notre Dame's Camping World Bowl Matchup is What It May Lead To. And so in it, he kind of aptly details the landscape, writing, quote, 2019 is an outlier. 
In the first five playoff cycles combined, 2014 through 2018, a total of five Power 5 teams with 10-2 or 11-2 records were excluded, and none in 2014 or 17. This year, there are a record four on the outside looking in. Utah, Alabama, Minnesota, and the Irish. For Notre Dame to have earned an invite to the Orange or Cotton Bowl, the two New Year Six games with at-large spots in this cycle, the Irish would have had to have finished ninth or 10th respectively. In the college football playoff rankings, even in the AP and coaches poll, the 14th ranked Irish weren't close, end quote. So it's really difficult to spin it any other way. Despite a successful regular season, it's clear in the eyes of the coaches, the Associated Press, and the college football playoff committee that the season-defining game was not going to be going into Georgia and losing only by a touchdown or any one of the 10 victories. It was clear that it was the utter disappointment of the 45-14 loss against Michigan in Ann Arbor. That game, <clears throat> excuse me, hung on the team like an albatross, as even with five straight victories after that stinging loss, we moved exactly two places in the rankings from 16th up to 14th. So I'm not sure. Is it Notre Dame fatigue? It's really hard to say. I'd be curious. If you have a thought about what that is, why this is, feel free to let me know. I know that a lot of people point to the conference and there's a lot, or lack thereof, there's a lot actually written about why this is one of those years that really it wouldn't have made much of a difference. I think, honestly, it was the combination of the fact that Notre Dame won double-digit games, went 10-2, and two, but there was just a plethora of teams that had identical records that unfortunately didn't have that loss that just really set them back. But what I will say... For this, for all the talk about Brian Kelly, this and Brian Kelly, that that you know his failure in big games against top twenty-five teams, and did you know that from where the teams actually finish, that he is eleven and nine in the past four seasons against top twenty-five teams? Unimpressive, it sounds. Fine, that's fine. Let's add some context to it. So. Dabo Sweeney of Clemson is 15-2 against teams ranked in the top 25. Nick Saban is 14-5. But after that, the, the pack thins out considerably. So Kirby Smart of Georgia is 10-8. Gus Malzahn of Auburn is 8-13. Clay Helton of USC is 7-9. Jim Harbaugh of Michigan is 7-12. And Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State is 5-7. and seven. So, yes, from what I was able to dig from the wonderful world of the Internet, Brian Kelly has the third most wins <clears throat> against top 25 teams among all active coaches in the land. So, really, he's actually first among all coaches not named Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney. So, not only that, but... Those two, Kelly and Kirby Smart of Georgia, are the only ones of consequence with a winning record in a substantial body of work after, after Saban and Swinney. So also, I would need to remind all of you that this is counts the last four seasons. So that would include the horrific 4-8 and eight season in 2016. 
That year, they had losses against top 25 teams Navy, Virginia Tech, and USC, which would actually make his record then, if you were to strike that season. So the last three seasons would make his record against top 25 teams 11-6, and six, good for a 65% winning percentage. And again, the third highest mark in the country over that span. Now, I know there's a huge anti-Brian Kelly faction within the fan base, and that's totally fine. My aim is to not bite the hand that feeds and, I guess, listens to the show. But I hope by now you have gauged me as something of a thoughtful individual. I hope. And I'm not one to stir any pot unnecessarily or give slanted takes in an effort to drive up activity or clicks. Or, I guess in this case, listens. But context is so important when arguing anything. So here's a bit more. In an article written by Sports Illustrated back in October, uh, let's see, author was uh, Mark Macchietto. And he wrote that, quote, While things are going, objectively speaking, very well for Notre Dame, there is still a sizable and vocal portion of the fan base that is unsatisfied at best self-righteously and self-importantly outraged and pining for golden days of glory gone by. But hey, that's part of the deal at ND, even in the absolute best of times. Holtz and Divine were hammered for not being as good as Era. Era couldn't win the big game and wasn't as good as Leahy. Leahy unraveled in the early 50s and wasn't as good as Rockney. You get the picture. Plus, there's a segment of every team's fan base that is going to look for and revel in reasons to be miserable. That's just part of sports and life. Since the start of 2017, as these numbers that the article contains will show, Notre Dame has been quite easily one of the top 10 best Power 5 programs in the country. And with all respect due to a team like UCF, in my mind... That means being one of the top 10 best programs in all of FBS, end quote. So while I might not agree with all the words and somewhat tongue-in-cheek name-calling that, uh, that is employed here, the sentiment can hold up in some of our criticisms of Kelly and of the current edition of Notre Dame, and frankly, some of those criticisms I even hold. Okay, so back to the next game. And I know the name of the bowl reeks of commercialism, and even as seemingly as all bowls do, and that Iowa State isn't exactly a provocative opponent. But here are the top three reasons that I've cobbled together why to watch the 2019 Camping Bowl on December 28th at noon on ABC. So number three is to witness history. Something that, if you're listening to this show, you probably can appreciate. So, as mentioned earlier, it could be only the eighth time in program history that the team will have won at least 11 games. And it is likely to see seniors Julian Aquara, well, I guess not Julian Aquara, but Khaled Kareem, Chase Claypool, uh, Jalen Elliott, Troy Pride Jr., Alohi Gilman, among many others, play their final game in the blue and gold and that's something that I get really sentimental about. So I will not. It could be the crummiest bowl game out there. And I will always watch it for that reason. So number two is to show off that chip on the program's shoulder. 
So despite the 7-5 and five record for Iowa State, their losses came by a total of 21 points and to four ranked opponents. So they are a good team, not a great one, but Notre Dame will have a really good opportunity to, if, they're, if we're feeling like they're being disrespected and they feel like they're being disrespected, go out and get on the gridiron and just show us how disrespected you feel by making this game not even close. I think most people, most pundits, believe that Iowa State is not as bad as some may think. And in fact, so much so, they're getting quite a bit of respect. I mean, aside from just being named to the bull, Notre Dame are only three and a half point favorites for the game. So let's go out and show them just how good we are this season and that the Michigan game should not be the defining game. Run the record to 11-2 and two and get the ball rolling for 2020 the right way. And finally, number one, hey, it's still Notre Dame football. And with it, in it, since it's in Orlando, Florida, perhaps the coaching staff could use the game as something of leverage for the eight players identified as top targets for the program in the state of Florida for the 2021 class. So these are the current juniors who next football season will be seniors. So now for you, that top three may or may not have been super compelling, but also given the game that it given that the game is at noon before the college football playoff semifinal games between Ohio State and Clemson at 4 p.m. and LSU and Oklahoma at 8 p.m., it makes for a really fun-filled day of football. So, in that being said, I'm I'm sure there's going to be a lot of eyes on that game and again, uh, there's a lot of overtures about the game and there's a lot of a lot written about it and the state of Notre Dame football uh, you know, within the tea leaves. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's a bowl game, and I'm happy to watch it, and I really am looking forward to seeing how the team reacts to the, the, the selection and how the team is going to play together for the very last time and how the team heads into 2020 as a result. And I hope you feel the same way too. All right, so we'll be right back with the second edition of the George Gipp Minute here right after this. All right, and just as a reminder, if you like this anecdote or the one in the previous episode, which was the first George Gipp Minute, then please go back and listen to episode four titled The Charming Rogue, The Story of George Gipp. So my goal is to have at least a few more episodes about George Gipp here in the next year, kind of an anthology of sorts. So admittedly, I am a huge George Gipp fan. I think he is fascinating. And I think one of the reasons why, as I said in the last episode, that I think he is fascinating is that because if George Gipp, and given his personality back then, if he was alive today and was my contemporary or my peer or vice versa, if I was born, whatever, uh, 90 years earlier, it's very possible, in fact, probable, knowing what I know about George and what I think I know about myself, that we would not be friends <laughs> And George was uh, was a perfectly fine guy. He was, uh, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's not it's not that it, he was uh, not that I would dislike him. We're just clearly not each other's types when it comes to to friends. But uh, he he is all the more fascinating to study and read about. So I figure I will take the opportunity, and this will give me an excuse to at least relay a cool George Gipp anecdote, 
you know, every episode or, you know, most episodes, I should say. So here we go. According to Gip biographer Jack Cavanaugh, Gip attending the University of Notre Dame was surprising for two reasons. So one, he had never actually expressed interest in attending college, perhaps because of reason two. He hadn't, in fact, graduated from high school due to poor grades and even poor attendance. And he would actually often skip school to go to the pool and poker hall during the day, which was George Gibbs' favorite activity, where he would often fleece the coal miners of their most recently cashed paychecks. So, why Notre Dame? Gip was at, offered an athletic scholarship, as some of you may be aware, but it was for baseball. So he was easily the best and most recognized athlete in his region, and so he would play semi-pro baseball. And one of his clubs traveled and played in Elkhart, Indiana, not far from South Bend. And the power-hitting Gip caught the eye of the Notre Dame coaching staff. So not only was George Gip a bit of a long shot for the college academically, but he was also not even recruited to play the sport that he would become famous for on campus. So that's this episode's George Gip Minute. I hope you enjoyed that. So that'll actually wrap up the episode. Uh, it's going to be released a little bit earlier than what the normal every two-week schedule is. But, you know, with the bowl game coming up, I figured, you know, uh, now or never in the holidays. So that'll disrupt the, the every two-week schedule. So I figured if I could, I'd get a new one out. So this one's coming in a little bit short, but I'm sure you don't mind. Hopefully you caught some good information. If you agree or disagree, please feel free to let me know. And... You know, please uh, send the show a message on Facebook or just a good old-fashioned email. I'd be more than happy to read any of the correspondence or feedback that you send. Uh, thank you to all the new listeners. I've been getting some really cool feedback from some new listeners uh, from who particularly enjoy the show. So you know who you are, and I really appreciate it. Please don't hesitate to like and follow the Facebook page, as well as if you'd like to become a consensus All-American. You can do so at, again, paypal.me slash onward to victory or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. So, again, this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast, and I am your host, Alex Painter. If I don't speak to you, which I don't think I will do to the holidays, I really hope you have a warm holiday season, hopefully surrounded by family, friends, loved ones, whoever it may be. So... Uh, we'll speak soon, though, I promise. I hope you enjoyed this, but as always, go Irish!